Welcome back to another episode of Psycho Cinematic. Today we are covering an indie film that is freaking crazy. It was written and directed by Steven Gerald Warkle. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And as always, spoilers ahead. So Steven reached out to me on TikTok asking if I would be interested in covering this film. I was like, well, perhaps, I, I don't know, is it good? And he's like, oh, well, I worked on it. And I had no idea that he was the writer and director. <laughs> I didn't find that out until my second watch. So I thought that was cool. I was very flattered that he wanted me to take a look at the film and cover it on here. And I was relieved to see that I did in fact enjoy this movie. So without further ado, here are the things that stuck out. The first thing is this movie starts off very similar as Mean Spirited, another indie film that I covered on here, where it starts off black, I believe, like just black screen, and you can hear audio, and then it opens up to old footage of something. So I found it strange that there's that parallel there. I don't know if that's like just something easy or attainable for indie films, or if it's just all coincidence. But for this film, it totally makes sense to open it up like that because this is a period piece of sorts. It's set in the 90s. So after we watch the old news footage, now it opens up with a few teenagers in the middle of nowhere, basically, and they run over a spike strip, which immediately sets a tone that there's some sort of malicious intent going on. What gets me though is I'm pretty sure if they run over a spike strip, all their tires would be popped. If not all of them, than the front two and they don't go back to look and see oh what what made our tires pop now sure if you had a tire blowout you probably won't find anything in your tire or around but you know if all your tires pop there's no way that's a freaking blowout if they would have found the spike strip they all could have lived by not going into the cannibal's house after they go into the cannibal's house for help and then you know a little time passes and then one of the guys and one of the girls comes running out of the house there's nothing more frustrating than when you watch someone escape from a dangerous place only to stop running as soon as they get out of the building they go and hide behind the barn that's right Right there. Mm, shit that only happens in horror movies. So something that occurred to me pretty early on in this film, and I was reminded of it constantly throughout the film, is that the sound design was strange. I felt like a lot of the sound effects were really intense or dramatic or even strange, like what sound was that? And then all of these sounds like a gunshot or a punch that are normally intense were underwhelming. And when I was watching this restaurant scene, I thought in my head, you know, like ultimate props to any kind of indie filmmaker for doing a period piece because you have to worry about everything that is in frame, whether it's wardrobe or props, vehicles, all that stuff. And also props for even using a restaurant because you got to find people to be extras. You got to get permission to shoot in a restaurant. There's just a lot of hoops that I would imagine that you have to jump through when you're working with a lower to no budget. So Jenna ends up meeting the godmother there. They set up the highest cue Rick and Morty, you son of a bitch I'm in. They've all got criminal records, which is why they were chosen. They are told that they need to hold each other accountable and make sure that not one person fucks up this mission basically and screws over the rest of the party. I really like that from the get-go of this movie, you don't think that it's just going to be a heist movie. You know it's going to be something sinister and it's just such an awesome take on a heist movie. Just the miscommunication alone that sets them up to be in the cannibal's house as a safe house is great. I just love the way that they accidentally ended up at the cannibal's home. The motel manager telling his employee it's room number seven while he's giving out the address. It's just... 
I love that. That's when I was for sure sold on the movie. And I'd also like to add that the address was on Elm Road. So it feels like they're tipping their hat to A Nightmare on Elm Street. The original address was 2210 Elm Road and they got 2217 Elm Road. And the funny thing is that they would just be seven houses down from these cannibals, but because they're in middle of nowhere, North Dakota, that could easily be a mile or more away. All right, the actor who plays Fredo, Joseph Schwartz, you can't tell me he doesn't look like the actor from Road Trip who plays the skinny kid. And there's a little bit of foreshadowing when Jenna is talking to that one kid. I don't remember his name exactly. And IMDb unfortunately doesn't have a lot of pictures for the actors. I think it was Michael uh, when I think it was Michael asks her, you ever kill someone? Just a little foreshadowing because she will be killing someone by the time she leaves there. I would also like to add that Fredo, who is basically playing the antagonist amidst their ranks, is wearing red. The color red in film is usually a sign of being the antagonist in a film. I also really like the shot in the kitchen where all the heist members are gathered around talking about the situation. And you can see in the mirror Fredo's reflection. I just thought it was a creative way to make a small space feel bigger and fit people into the shot. It's so interesting when you think about the lack of technology in the 90s as opposed to today, because when Tom calls the motel manager, he's like, oh yeah, I did give them a different address. The motel manager backs up what one of the heist members were saying that they should be at that location. But then you think about how the motel manager wouldn't know that they're actually calling from a different house because there's no caller ID and godmother can't get a hold of them because there's no cell phones and he would be calling the house that they are not at. So it was about this point that I wrote down that honestly, only about 25% of the acting in this film didn't take me out. You know, obviously that's kind of a bummer, but with this film, the story is so good that I'm willing to forgive so much of that stuff. Something that I love about this film is the fact that the cannibals really only kill, I think, three of the heist members and then another three die just amongst themselves because they start tearing each other apart and they are just as crazy as the cannibals, just in a slightly different way. Now, I noticed in the house they have what looks like, I think, a jackalope mounted on the wall, which, you know, when I looked it up, it's commonly referred to as Frankenstein rabbit. And so I feel like that's some commentary on how these cannibals are basically, you know, they're monsters. They are cut from a completely different cloth. I love when Fredo and Carlo take the money, but now they have to wait for a car. They have time to sit, reflect, and marinate on whether or not they want to kill the other one and take the money or just keep working together and we all know how that shook out. R.I.P. Carlo. And then we get that delicious instant karma when Fredo thinks that he's going to hijack a truck from a cannibal. So when Jenna gets in a fight with one of the cannibals, I felt like it could have been a lot more intense. The only reason it becomes a little bit more intense is when she wakes up and she realizes she has to go and get the keys from inside, then it becomes a little more intense. But it just, it felt like they had a lot of potential to, you know, put me on the edge of my seat and I just wasn't at that point. I also find it a little hard to believe that you could fall asleep immediately after that scuffle with all the adrenaline that would probably be coursing through your veins. Again, with the the sound effects, when she's digging through the cannibal's jacket i i literally don't understand what that sound was like it's just it didn't sound like digging through pockets for keys and now for the joke more of the story 
Put the phone on hold when you're yelling at your employees. Jesus Christ. All in all, I'd give this movie a seven and a half out of 10. I absolutely love the story. The story carried the entire movie on its shoulders. If it wasn't for the acting taking me out of the film pretty often, and then also the occasional strange sound design, then I would have given this movie a much higher rating. And if you haven't seen it yet, I do highly recommend you check it out. It's a fun one and it's great to support indie films. I can tell they put a lot of work into it. And that's all I have for you guys today on the movie Hair Trigger. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Psycho Cinematic. If you did, leave me a thumbs up, comment what you thought down below, and then don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and I'll see you in the next one.